Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. <laughs> well, hopefully you all had a good spring break as well. And uh, this week we get back on schedule. We have our... Wednesday night, um, Foundations of Faith class coming up. The youth, Pastor Spencer met with, with some of the kids last Wednesday night in the middle of the week, and thank God for them doing that. Uh, women's ministry, Tuesday night, men's ministry, Monday night, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But this morning, I want to talk to you with the emphasis and focus on, of course, it's, it's Easter Sunday morning and Jesus rose. And that was the final sign, the final act, if you will, of his taking all authority and power over death, over hell, and the grave. But Jesus, I'm going to take you to a few places this morning before we go into our main text. Jesus demonstrated his power over death before his resurrection. You see it in the Old Testament, I'm not going to cover those so much. I, I am going to touch just briefly. Before Jesus was crucified and buried and then rose again, he exercised and showed authority over death in his earthly ministry. <clears throat> over in Luke chapter 8, there's about eight verses there where it talks about Jairus's daughter who, who had died. She'd been dead I don't know, best best they figure, at least maybe an hour or two. And um, Jesus came on the scene and ministered and brought resurrection into her body. She came back. Somebody asked me a few days ago, well, if Jesus is the first fruits of the tomb, then what about these, uh, what are first fruits of the grave, then what about these other people that were resurrected in both the Old and New Testament? I said, yeah, the only difference is is that they all died again. Their physical bodies, then whatever their course was left in this, in this world, they eventually came and died again. The difference is, when Jesus rode, no more dying. He lived, he's living forever. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So he showed within Jairus' daughter, this young girl, and the family was distraught, and Jesus showed up and brought life. You know, that's what Jesus does everywhere he goes. Today, wherever Jesus goes, he brings life. Then over in Luke chapter 7, there's the widow of Nain, her son, took ill suddenly and died, and the whole area was distraught over over this. And Jesus came in into that desperate situation. just want to tell you this morning, I don't care how desperate your situation is, Jesus will walk right in the middle of it if you let him. He's not afraid of it. 
He never backs down. He never signs off. He never stays away. He never shies away from issues and problems, no matter how severe they might be. Invite him. Ask him. He'll come. He'll get right in the middle of it. Then, of course, the most famous one was over in John chapter 11, where Jesus' personal friend and Jesus was a friend of this family, the two sisters, Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. And he was with his disciples and they were out on a ministry journey and Lazarus took sick and died. And they finally got word of Jesus and he was coming back. And it's just such a poignant tale there in John where the sisters came up and said, if you had only been here. They knew he had the power to prevent death. They believed he had the power to heal sickness. They had watched it. They believed he was the God of miracles. If you'd only been here. And Jesus, in essence, said, well, I'm glad I wasn't here because now you're going to see the power of God demonstrated. These ladies were overwhelmed with his projection of authority and they're like lord he's been he's been in the he's been in the grave four days it's not possible he i think in the came james it says they said he stinks by now remember what i said jesus doesn't shy away not even from that And the point I'm trying to make is that before Jesus' resurrection, it wasn't like he had no authority, power, ability, desire to confront death on its own terms. Oh, he did. But when it came into what he was sent here to do, his confrontation with death was entirely different. It wasn't a temporary reprisal. It wasn't a temporary pause. Uh, Lazarus come out, and I love love, uh, the story of Lazarus post-resurrection, you know, the girls were always throwing parties at the house. Jesus had been to a number of them, I'm sure. The Bible talks about them. And um, uh, one, after Jesus, or after Jesus had resurrected Lazarus, <clears throat> they had a get-together. And everybody wanted an invitation to that. And the reason they wanted an invitation, of course, was Jesus. But they wanted to be there. They wanted to see Lazarus. It goes through the account, and in that uh, account, Lazarus was seated next to Jesus. You know, after he brings new life into your life, he'll save you a seat right next to him. Amen. <laughs> how many have felt it? How many of you sat there? How many, how many are glad for the invitation? I don't know how it's all going to work and, and all of that, but I guarantee you, when we get to heaven, you'll be close. <laughs> Everybody thinks they're his favorite. My wife tells me all the time, oh, I'm Jesus' favorite. I said, I know. I'm just glad to be bringing up the... (laughs) That's it. Uh, But that's okay. Jesus is God, and everyone is his favorite. And Jesus said, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. But he said, I'm going away to prepare a mansion for you. The best decision you ever made was when you said yes to Jesus. Bar none. 
all your other decisions, the good ones and even the bad ones, they pale in comparison to that decision. Whether you made it as a little child in a Sunday school room, whether you made it later on in life, best decision you ever made. What I want to do today in just uh, praying, seeking the Lord, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you want to say to the people about Easter Sunday, about Resurrection Sunday? I'm going to do something. I've never really, I've never done this on an Easter Sunday morning in ministry. But we're going to do something a little different. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> uh, this is Paul, of course, writing to the church in Corinth. And Paul, being the apostle of that church, he dealt with a lot of stuff with the people in Corinth. I mean, he dealt with the good, bad, and the ugly. And God raised Paul up as an apostle <clears throat> to do such things. And Paul wasn't shy. He would wade right in as well. And he would set things in order, set things straight, deal with issues head on. But all of the writings and all of the epistles and all the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. A man who persecuted and killed Christians before he was a Christian. Uh, a man that was, in the, in the eyes of the church, was not just a pagan, not just a non-believer, he was worse. He was a persecutor. Matter of fact, whenever Saul was on his road, on, on the road to Damascus, and Jesus showed up along the road, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you kicking against what I'm trying to do in your life? The rest of the story is he surrendered right there, <clears throat> became the Apostle Paul. This 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I believe, is the pinnacle of all of his tristies that he would have written. They're all anointed, they're all good, they're all inerrant word of God. But here he lays down this long, not even explanation, but long just pouring out from him truth and doctrine of the resurrection. In a few weeks in our Wednesday night class, we're going to be dealing with that because the resurrection, I mean, it's the big one. It's, it's one of the main doctrines. You need to know it. You need to believe it. I'm not going to go through and break it all down this morning, but I'm going to, I'm going to read this 15th chapter and, um, and make a few comments along the way. I don't have a, a message of points so much because as I was going through this this week and going over it, um, there's, there's nothing I can say to improve on it. Oh, I might point out a few things. And there isn't anything I can say to improve on the scriptures, by the way, but make commentary about them. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm just going to start reading verse 1. So it'll be up on the screen. If you have a Bible you want to follow along or read along on the screen, great. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures. What's the first part of the resurrection? The death of Jesus. Good Friday. We had a wonderful Good Friday service here. 
Susan and I, and I, I expect, I suspect that most of you, we were greatly encouraged after Friday night, just going home, just had an afterglow of the Holy Spirit. This, it was so good. I delivered you the good news, the gospel, that Christ died for you, for your sins, for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's, that's it, and that's it in a capsule, but now he goes on for another 40, you know, uh, for another 55 verses. So on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep, or that is, some have already gone to heaven, some have already died. After that, he was seen by James, <clears throat> and then by all the apostles. Say, all the apostles. There were a lot of witnesses that Jesus came back. I remember years ago, when I first started to train and, and get ready to go into the ministry and all of that, one of the things, this was back in the early 70s, there was, and things like this have always come and gone, but there was a... There was an attempt, I guess, to discredit the resurrection, just as there was in the old or in Paul's day. There were those that didn't believe in the resurrection, um, and and they and their attempt was that well, Jesus didn't really die; he just passed out, he fell asleep, he was in a coma, he was whatever, and then he came out a few days later. And and uh, uh, but that's not at all what took place. That's not the account of the scriptures at all. That's not the account of history, and what Paul's saying. What he's doing here, because Paul is driving home the point, and in a few verses we'll really begin to see what he's doing. He's driving home the point. Hey, Jesus was dead, and he came back alive. Lazarus was great, but nothing like this. Jairus' daughter, yeah, tragic, but she came back. The widow's son, a miracle, but none of them compared to this. And last of all, he was seen also by me as one born out of due time. Well, wait a second, Paul wasn't there. Well, Jesus showed up to him on that road to Damascus. Remember when I was talking to you about his conversion? It wasn't an angel, it wasn't an apparition, it wasn't a vision, it wasn't a dream. Jesus showed up. And to Paul, it was the evidence he did resurrect. Somehow in that, Paul knew that all that he had been hearing, all that he was pursing, all that he had set himself against was absolutely, verifiably the truth and reality. And he succumbed to that truth and surrendered his life, the rest of his life to that. Considered himself the least of the apostles because he had persecuted the church prior to his conversion. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to make that decision to make him Lord of your life before we leave this building today. I just want to compel you. I want to set you up right now. You're here because Jesus loves you. And as we go through these few verses, it's going to be demonstrated to you that indeed he is the Lord of all. And as Pastor Mike said, all the other leaders of all the world's great religions, they're all dead, they're all buried somewhere, they're still trying to figure out what's going on. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God, He's the one who came back. And so he's going through this reason why you can believe in this. For verse 9, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
Maybe you've done things in your life that you think are just so bad that God would never take you in. That's a lie from the devil. I don't care anything you've done. Uh, it doesn't matter. He'll receive you and rejoice over you and the angels in heaven will have a party when the least of these come. And so Paul's just realizing and overcome with with really the love of God, that God loved me, and I was the one who persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, verse 10, I am what I am. (laughs) You can't change your past, but He'll change your future. You can't change what happened, but He'll change what's going to happen. You can't change where you were going back then, but now you're going to an entirely different place. Paul said, I am what I am. He said, my history is, is all the, all the, the negative and stuff that is there, but by his grace towards me, it was not in vain. God is showing grace towards you today. Well, pastor, I don't feel like there's very much grace coming towards me today from heaven. Well, I'll dispute that with you simply on this fact. You're here in this room right now. This is your greatest chance. Maybe you've had a number of other chances in your life, but right now, this morning, this is your chance. We had a wonderful time of worship and a wonderful time of of exalting the Lord in song and fellowship and, and all of that, but now it's getting down to spiritual business, supernatural business. He said, I am what I am, and by His grace towards me, God has grace towards you, and I'm going to tell you, it's not grace that's going to be in vain. You're going to say, yes, I just prophesied that over your life. Well, I don't think I'm going to do that today, preacher. Well, even if you don't, you're marked. He's going to keep chasing you. There was an old preacher from a century and a half ago that called the Holy Spirit the hound of hell. That is, he would go into hell to bring them out. He would chase you wherever you would go. I don't care how much you rebel. The hound of heaven is going to chase you wherever you might go. to say, I want you to come back. I want you to come in. And that's what Paul was 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 talking about right here. Um, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Verse 11, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he, was been, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. What he's talking about here is permanent resurrection. Not just resurrected to live out the the remainder of what your years might have been with these three that I mentioned and a number of others. I think there are five in the Old Testament. You you want to know one of the most supernatural um, events of the whole crucifixion, death, trial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Besides Jesus, he was the pinnacle. He was the greatest. But in that... In that fulfillment of prophecy of Jesus being the perfect Lamb of God and being offered up and sacrificed for our sins, in Jerusalem, there were, they're not sure how many, but possibly hundreds of people came out of the graves and then showed themselves all through the community. It would have been, it would have been earth-shattering, and then Jesus himself. There was such a shaking going on in the supernatural realm that the very fabric of the cosmos was being disrupted. As a matter of fact, it says when Jesus said it is finished, this huge veil, this huge curtain that was several feet thick in the temple, 
in the Jewish temple where they, where they were going to the Holy Holies, it was ripped in half. Something changed in the very fabric of creation. And Paul said, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. If Christ has not risen from the dead, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Without the resurrection, none of this matters. Without the resurrection being a reality, all that we go through, and it's not even religion, but just in, in the course of our life living through and saying, God, we believe your word. We're going to, if there's no resurrection, then it doesn't matter. None of it does. And you'll find out as Paul goes on and makes his case. If there's no, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom, whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Why? Because Christ is the first fruit of the dead rising. It's one of the most fundamental parts of our belief as as followers of Jesus Christ. That we are not temporary beings on a little speck of dust in a cosmos that is uncomprehendable. But we are eternal souls and we will live somewhere forever. That's the way we're created, in the very image of God. When God breathed in, when he, when he blew, the, blew the pneuma, the breath of, of heaven itself into the very clay dust that he had formed Adam from, Adam became an eternal being. And Eve became the same as she was taken and made from Adam. They were meant to live forever. They were meant never to die. Scientists today, as great as they are, with all the technological advancements they, they have made, with all the discoveries, with all the wisdom that is greater than all the wisdom that man has ever comprehended since being here, yet they cannot really determine why you grow old. Oh, there's a few ideas. The telomeres and your chromosomes shorten up every week or every time they divide. Personally, I think that's what happened. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, and he said, the day you take of that tree, you're going to die, I think when they did, the DNA and the way it operates in our very bodies changed and the death process started. What's the solution to it? Resurrection. You'll live and never die again. You'll live and not only never die again, you'll never grow old again. (laughs) Yeah. The teenagers don't really get that, but all us gray hair, we, we get that, don't we? Yeah. Uh, their time's coming. No, I'm just kidding. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The resurrection is so powerful. It is the, not only the proof and the litmus test, it is the very power which operates in us so that we do not have to live under subjection to the, to our sin any longer. It is because of the resurrection. Yes, the cross. Yes, the blood. Yes, the sacrifice. Yes, not my will, but thy will. But the part that activated it all was whenever that stone was rolled away, Jesus came out of that tomb that day. At that point, everything changed. At that point, you don't have to live bound to sin anymore. Why? Because there's a power that's greater than sin that works in us, and it's the power of his resurrection working in us even now. Verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is, if the resurrection is not, not real. 
How many have loved ones on the other side? How many miss them? <laughs> How many looking forward to seeing them again? I don't have to make comment on that. We all know. Everybody knows. Without the resurrection, there would be no hope. We would be men and women most hopeless. But I'm going to see my grandma and grandpa, who I love dear. I'm going to see it, and you're going to see yours. So Paul's making this antithesis, this, this opposite uh, case, if you will, to really show how ludicrous and how ridiculous this whole notion would be that there's no resurrection. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Or in New King James, we are of all men the most pitiable. If there's no resurrection, all that's left is just a a miserable endurance looking forward to an end which we know is coming that we have no way to stop or prevent or avoid. Verse 20. Now, he shifts from low gear and high gear. Now he shifts from two-wheel to four-wheel. Now he goes into... (laughs) He's getting down to business. Everybody say this way. But now Christ. So he starts out verse 20. But now Christ. But now Christ. It's not just setting up to uh, go into the next portion of his thought that Christ is risen. But he's also setting up Christ is now. Oh, he's in heaven. I know right where he's at, so do you. He's at the seat and at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? He's praying for you. (laughs) How many are glad for that? (laughs) He's making intercession for you. How's he do it? He's God. How's he able to do it? He's God. He never misses a one. He never forgets a one. He never, uh, oh, oh, I forgot little Johnny over it. No, he, years ago at pastoring in Portland, Oregon, and John Mall and all of we had the, the camps up at the campground. Man, we were faithful, get the kids ready, and we had a church van and loaded all the kids in the van, and I was the driver. Got them up to camp just fine. They had their four days there, and it was all good. Went up, loaded them all up, drove back down, got to the church in Portland, getting them out, and one short. <laughs> Mom and dad were not pleased. Oh, I forgot. Turn around, they drove, and we all drove up. He get up there, and there's about like four teenage girls, and he's right in the middle of them, and he's like, I'm not going home. I'm staying right here. So, <laughs> The point is, Jesus, Jesus doesn't miss it. He'll never leave you behind. He said, I'm coming again for you. I'm coming back, and my reward I'm going to bring with me. Oh, how many are ready for that? And so now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's risen from the dead and has become 
the first fruits. What was he talking about? Those that died in faith, those that, and I'm not sure how it all works in the Old Testament, and you get that figured out, come and tell me about it. But uh, uh, anyway, those that have gone on before us, he's the first fruits. That is, he died and is never going to die again. Those that are in in Christ, they died, and when it's all wrapped up, you're never dying again. The old timers used used to say this: "Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once." Mm-hmm. There's a second death for those that don't know the Lord. And so, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, if you'll notice there. Uh, in verse portion of 21, by man, uh, right there, that's a small m, right? Um, you know, English is important, and I know you hated it when you were a kid, but it's a good class. For man, that is just man, that is you and me, came death. Adam came death. But by man, see the difference, capital? That's... You know the man. That's Jesus. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. Ha <laughs> ha. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Somebody just say, thank you, Jesus. In Christ all shall be made alive. There was a time in my life as a little boy before I really came to Jesus where there was a period where I was... I was a, the, the reality of dying overwhelmed me and I became so terrified when I realized someday, there's no way I'm going to get around this. Someday, I'm going to die. Maybe you've been there. God forbid me. Maybe you're even there today. For believers, there's no fear of dying. Oh, I'm not looking forward to the process. I don't like pain. Don't let it hurt. <laughs> All that, whatever that is, that's just the flesh. But uh, the, 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 the overwhelming, glorious assurance is that through Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, Christ the first fruits, afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Another great thing we'll be dealing with on Wednesday nights, you know, foundation class in the next few weeks or months is that uh, Jesus came uh, came once, but he's coming again. There is a second time that Jesus is coming, and we look forward to that, and we pray even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Verse 24, then comes the end. He's the first fruits after those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Oh, you need to go home and just read that verse 24 a few times. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. You look around the world and it's just such a mess. Jesus is going to put a stop to it. The stuff that's the mess is the result of sin and separation from God. For he must reign till all enemies are under his feet. I don't know if you were here. For those that were here uh, Friday night, we talked about 
the enmity between the seed of the woman, which was Jesus, and the seed of the serpent. Well, here, uh, Jesus not only bruised his head, he crushed his head. He decapitated the enemy. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected, is accepted, excuse me, is accepted. Verse 28, now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be also subject to him who put all things under him, that is the Father, that God may be all in all. What did Jesus say when he came here and he was doing what he was doing in his life and in his ministry? He said, I came to do the will of the Father. And that's in essence what Paul is laying out here in his own terms. Verse 29, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Verse 30, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? What Paul's talking about here and getting ready to go into is that since he began to follow Christ, since he became and took upon uh, and took and um, submitted himself to that apostleship, to that calling, I mean, he goes through in one point and he said how many times he was beaten, how many times he was left for dead, how many times, I mean, he was snake bit, he was shipwrecked. There was all manner of stuff that had happened. And many, many millions of Christians have been martyred since that time and suffering and all of the things that happens in people's lives, even as they serve Jesus. Paul said, and why then do we stand in jeopardy every hour? If, if there's no resurrection, verse 31, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. What he's saying is my life, I'm not living my life for me, I'm living it for Jesus. And the reason I do that is because the resurrection is real. And there's another life, there's the real essence of life. This is the rehearsal And he just goes on and on, talking about for 58 verses. I'm going to wrap this up over in verse 50. Read the rest of it when you get home, if you want something to do on an Easter afternoon. Verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible man must put on incorruption, this mortal man must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, the mortal is put on immortality, then shall he, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is in sin, the strength of the sin is in law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. When you're feeling like you don't have much victory going on in your life, I want you to turn to this verse and just begin to say, thank God who gives me the victory. Because the victory isn't just the thing you're going through now, whether you get through it or whether you don't get through it. The victory that really you possess now is that you're going to live with Him forever. 
I'm finished with this. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brother, and be steadfast because of this is what he's saying. Because of all the things that have just he just went over and laid out about the reality of the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast. Could I have the worship team? Uh, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Four things. If we we're going to do points, this is where I'd take them from. You Bible scholars, this is, this is the place to start breaking it down. Because of all of this, because of the resurrection, because of the reality of Easter, because of what we're celebrating today, because of all this, my brethren, because those that, that have given their life to Christ, this is where, where it comes down to. Be steadfast. The world's trying to shake, shake those of faith. He's trying to shake their faith. Paul said, be steadfast. Immovable. <laughs> Paul also said, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. He had seen, he had known. <clears throat> Peter said on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he said, Lord, I'll never leave you. Before the morning came, he had denied Jesus three times. Steadfast and well, Lord, even the best we're shaken. How can I? The Holy Spirit will strengthen you. Stay in the book. Stay in the Word. Stay, con- stay, stay in the kingdom. Stay in the body. Stay, stay connected to those of faith. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable. He wasn't even telling them how to do it. He was just telling them, get it down in you that nothing's going to cause you to sh- uh, shake your faith. Or lose your trust. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, that's just for preachers. Uh, no, it's not. Because over in Ephesians 4, it says that the preachers and all that stuff is there to equip the, the saints, the believers, to do what? The work of the Lord. So that's for all of us. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I'm going to tell you what's going to help you overcome today is get involved in a tremendous effort on your part of I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, today's your day. We're going we're gonna to end this service by worshiping the Lord, by exalting, by lifting up His name. Um, but if you're here this morning and you're ready to say yes to the Lordship of Christ, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. And this is your this is your time. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. You don't have to do anything at this moment uh, to identify, yeah, preacher, that's me. But the Holy Spirit is tapping upon your heart right now, and He's saying, "Let me in." I'm knocking. Jesus said, "When I knock, if any man let me in." I'll come in. We'll sup. We'll have fellowship. Stand up with me and shut your eyes. If you're here today and you've never really made this commitment, I want you to... This is between you and God, not between you and me or you and anybody else. This is between you and God. Jesus is the one that made this possible for you. 
to take the same step that Saul of Tarsus did and get his life changed around and become Paul the Apostle. Pray this together with, with gusto, with out of your heart. Oh, I've prayed it so many times I can't even remember, but I'm going to pray it again today. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for paying the price that I deserved for my sin. You who knew no sin became sin for me. I surrender my life, all that it is, to you. Forgive me of my sin, of my rebellion, of my own way. Jesus, today, become my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer. Seal my eternity with your blood. I shall live forever in your presence. At the sound of the trumpet, I will join those in the resurrection call. Today, Jesus, I make you Lord, Savior, Master of my life. And I'll serve you all my days. In Jesus' name. Let's put our hands together and thank Jesus for the resurrection. Ha <laughs> ha.